Eatings gray, ute alle innocence of a ide e public ray of ad bay iptopia cray. Iwe umke in a east pay, and a iwe are elighted day, ute ed spray ide udge uzne of ipto cray, arfar, and hideway. Iwe elkumwe, a uperse ulke, ipto cray ikche, at they is a on a ide. Utfre Einsley of a evangelizing a orfe urency k a actical prey eality ray orfe eight a day ute a day urchises pay urhe aimne is a amanda a ebay onsen j and a ishe is a ide oak person's pay orfe ash day unway of a ide opte oins k ibe arkitme apke. O se aune at they uye avhe or ye amest pre igpe atenle intro e, iwe elkumwe episode 86a of a ide adbe iptocre oddcast pay. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is perfect. Uh, I'm dying. Welcome to the pig Latin introduction that you guys were promised of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Uh, I had to mute while Travis was doing that because I'm just dying here. Oh, Illy say itches bay. This is Danny from New York. You're listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Stay bad. Oh, who knew that your teaser pig Latin skills were so great? Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, for those of you who figured out what is happening on this show, uh, congratulations. For those of you that didn't, uh, we've got Amanda B. Johnson of Dash with us today, and uh, you're going to love this interview, uh, but we're glad you're here. Uh, welcome to the show for the crypto uh, pig Latin. You know what's strange about that, Joel, is that I, I've always, I think from since grade school, I've been able to speak pig Latin because we did it at school and it was hilarious. But I don't know that I've ever read something in English and then was trying to translate it into pig Latin like <laughs> like I was a translator. <laughs> that yeah. was that was kind of a challenge. I can think it and say it, but reading it and say it, that's a little bit that's a little bit different. Yeah, that's that's incredibly challenging. But uh, there you go. You know, we deliver. You know, we talked about in the previous episode, um, well, before the ICO Spotlight, we said that uh, perhaps a Pig Latin episode, you know, intro was due. And there we go. Boom. Bad crypto mm-hmm. delivered. Either odd pay, the oddcast pay, or if either ipto cray urius k, and either ipto cray urius say. <laughs> well, I need to talk about the Elize app because they're the show sponsor for uh, the month. I actually just heard from Abasa Phillips, and he said that he's getting radio silence from the Apple uh, App Store about approving their app, but that he has some ideas, and he's he's going to be clever. Uh, he's already clever. He's going to do something clever. So clever. you guys can still – He's that's right. Then maybe be the cleveristest of all. Uh, ZLA.io forward slash bad is where you want to go to check out what the app is all about, the ICO Marketplace app. And we're hoping that Abasa gets this resolved soon so that you guys can actually see it. So, yeah, make sure you can check that out at ZLA.io forward slash bad. 
Uh, hopefully it'll be fully baked full soon, right? Uh, speaking of uh, things that are fully baked, we have a couple of half-baked places we're going to go. Um, actually, not half-baked, fully baked. We are going to be in Austin, Mr. Joel Com, from the 9th through the 11th. There is a little conference down there called South by Southwest, and uh, we are going to be there. So if you would like to come to the meetup, we're actually having a bad crypto meetup on Saturday, March 10th from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. So you can go to that. Uh, you got to get an invite, though. Well, we're not having it. It's it's we're the guests okay. um, at, at this meetup. It's not like we're throwing it. Uh, we've we've been invited by a local there because, uh, you know, the locals in Austin are fully baked and, uh, you know, they don't know what they're doing, but they invited us. Uh, it's being sponsored by Veramos and it's going to be downtown V-E-R-I-M-O-S. Uh, it's going to be on Saturday, March 10th from 5 to 7. They've already got like over 500 registrations for this thing. And I think the room only holds like 350. But people are going to be cycling in and out. And uh, they got a lot of sponsors. And Travis and I are the uh, the guests of honor, which basically means we're going to show up and you know have some drinks with y'all. I'm going to show up and drink drink some beer. That sounds like a fun thing to do in Austin. Wine for me. I'm a whiner. You're a whiner? You are a whiner. Oh, my God. You guys yeah, don't even know. Don't I don't, don't, I don't even like know. white wine. Oh, my God. I only like red wine. Uh, and you can check that out at badco.in forward slash meetup. And another thing that is really cool. So you guys heard the episode, I believe it was episode maybe 75 uh, with Chris J. Snook of the World Tokenomic Forum. So there's going to be the World Tokenomic Forum house. It's going to call it's called the Block House. And um, so we are also taking invitations for that. And, uh, you know, you may get in. There's only going to be a few, I guess, a couple hundred that get in each day. So put in your information if you are, especially if you're doing some really cool stuff in enterprise or doing some cool stuff with some brands. Uh, go check this out. It's blockhouse.vip. That is B-L-O-K-H-A-U-S dot V-I-P. Because it's a really smart idea to misspell both words. And get people to well, you know, in in <laughs> this new brave new world we're in, we don't spell anything right. That's true. Like it's, it, yep. we have totally, you know, changed the English language into Pig Latin. Mm -hmm. B l o k h a u s dot v i p to uh, ask for an invitation to that particular event. And we're gonna, like I said, we're gonna be in Austin for I think three or four days. And if anybody is gonna be at the magical South by Southwest, look us up, hook us up. You come by. Uh, we'll maybe give you some stickers. We have some stickers. Oh, yeah, we got we got bad crypto stickers. It's going to be uh, great fun. OK, we got a couple news stories, so let's do it. Looks like Microsoft is getting into the blockchain game, Mr. Travis, right? Yes, they are. They are testing a blockchain based self-sovereign ID system. And uh, on the blockchain, which is going to be interesting to be able to allow users to control access to sensitive online information. And, uh, you know, something like this, when you start getting big companies, we start getting big companies involved on this, like Microsoft and IBM and some of these other ones. That's when we can maybe get some real movement forward, because this is it's not just a, a nascent space. It's, it's now people are going, oh, look, there's all these different solutions and different things that we can do. And identity, digital identity specifically, is one that is very, very important. I mean, if you're a U.S. citizen, 
you know how big that is with um, with uh, what was it Equifax that had that huge hack and everybody's credit and information basically like two I don't even know how many millions of, of records were taken and we need to be in charge of our own identity and not allow somebody just to be able to grab all of that identity stuff that that was pretty crazy so uh, they're working on some cool blockchain stuff over there Mr. Joel Com mm-hmm. and they're not the only big brand here's another story that you found on MediaPost.com Unilever. They uh, they own a lot of popular brands, including Dove soap, which I have I've used their shampoo and occasionally their soap to cleanse my filthy body. Um, they are unveiling a blockchain um, uh, initiative that it, it's the headline says threatens billions in ad spend. We're threatening to spend billions. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of an interesting. Well. You're right, Mr. Joel Kahn. Uh Keith Weed, who's the uh, chief marketing and communications officer over there, he messaged uh, Google and Facebook and some of these other digital platforms to clean up their act or they're going to pull their advertising from those platforms, right? And apparently Unilever spends about $10 billion a year on advertising with about 25% of that on digital. And so at this big conference here recently, they said that Unilever said they're no longer going to tolerate working with advertising platforms that do not meet these certain standards. And uh, they're going to do their part to uh, use blockchain to uh, to provide transparency and record what media is purchased and how it's delivered. Now, that's always been one problem, Mr. Joel Com, with advertising has been, well, you know, 50% of my advertising works, but I don't know which percent work. And then and then you also have all this ad fraud, mobile ad fraud, click fraud, all this stuff. And so there's just a small percentage of your advertising that actually works for you. And we've, we've talked to a couple of companies that are doing some cool stuff with advertising and blockchain. So here's another big brand who is looking towards leaning on blockchain for a solution. $10 billion in ad spend. You know, that soap that won't sell itself. <laughs> you know, that's where they came up with the soap operas back in the day. They're like, we want to sell the soap. Let's, you know what? Women are at home during the day. Let's make TV shows for them and we'll sell soap. And that's a content marketing well, play we'll from have back in the day. On the show that looked really clean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The days of our lives. And as these companies are riding this blockchain wave, there's some companies that thought they would be super clever and position themselves in the blockchain space by putting blockchain in their name, even if the company has nothing to do with blockchain, just in order to uh, raise, you know, money and awareness. For example, the Long Island Ice Tea Company, um, Stapleton Capital and UK Company Online all added blockchain to their company name and their stock prices went through the roof. Yeah. So you guys are now listening to the Bad Crypto Blockchain Podcast. (laughs) The SEC is not happy about this, Um, and they're basically saying that don't work for us. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this briefly, but if you have not had a chance to watch the uh, the Senate hearing with the SEC and the CFTC heads, where they were talking to a, a committee in Congress about crypto, you know that's a really valuable thing that I would recommend taking a look at that. And and uh, Jay Clayton, he's the head of the SEC, and uh, he does not like it when uh, when companies. Uh, are you know shifting their business models to capitalize on the perceived promise of distributed ledger technologies, and uh, they do they were not complying with the security laws there. So uh, interesting. There's a lot of people out there that there are some shysty people 
in finance period, Mr. Joe Com, in the stock market, in the penny stock game. And some of them have uh, tried to infiltrate the crypto and ICO world. And that's no bueno. You know what boggles my mind? There's one of those shysters that actually went to jail for shysting that now is some people are giving a voice in the crypto space, and it it boggles my mind. Oh, let me get you know the wolf of uh, Wall Street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jordan Bel- Belfort. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know how this guy has any credibility at all, and uh, he is not invited to the show. Nice, yeah. <laughs> we had to edit something out there because Travis just, you know, that was that was a little too edgy for the Bad Crypto Podcast. Travis goes off the rails sometimes because Travis has, uh, you know, Travis is nearing his limit of F's given. <laughs> I've <Yeah>. completed those. <laughs> hurt. It's near zero. My, my F's given are near zero at this point. This is Joe Com. Yeah. Where do you go for those? Like, do you, is there a store to buy uh, those? A, it's, a, it's F's uh, blockchain. And uh, it's a, it's a, <laughs> there actually is an F coin, I think, out there. I don't know what it does, and I definitely wouldn't recommend it because, of course, on Bad Crypto Podcast, we recommend uh, that you don't – we never recommend that you purchase anything. But we do recommend that you make sure you are undistracted now because we're bringing you our interview with Amanda B. Johnson of Dash. Yep, and this is one of those interviews that we have had a lot of requests for. We want People want to know more about Dash, and so we got it for you, folks. Here it is. Dash, Dash, it's the digital cash. If you want to have some, you can get your stash, yo. Yo. <laughs> wow. That was that was that, some freestyle in there, Mr. Joe Kahn. I just done. made that up right there on the spot, Travis Wright. And, uh, and of course, you guys already heard a woman's voice pop up there. So now you know we have a crypto chick in the house. But not just a crypto chick. She is actually referred to herself as the crypto queen. Her name is Amanda B. Johnson, and she is the crypto spokes chick woman queen person with Dash, Digital Cash. Welcome to Bed Crypto, Amanda. In the house. Thank you. Word. Are you going to freestyle for us, too? Maybe if you're lucky. You took all the good words already, Mr. Jokom. Well, we're glad you're here. And, I, you know, you said before we started you hadn't listened to the show before. And now that you know what you're in for, are you going to stick around? Wow. Thanks for outing me on that one. And, yeah, now I guess I have to. Yeah. Well, you're going to want to because <laughs> once you go bad, you never go back. All right. Let's do it. There we go. We are here. So, Dash, you are right now um, the number 12 cryptocurrency in the world. It's fluctuated over time. You guys have been uh, up over $1,000. I've seen it before. Today, it's at $614. Uh, one thing I really love about it is you've got a very low volume of Dash. There's only uh, 7 million, 7.8 million of them right now in circulation of the 18 million that'll be out here total. Um, maybe give give us the quick elevator pitch for somebody who's not familiar with what Dash does. Like, how do you describe Dash? Dash is designed for payments, nothing more and nothing less. And so in order to achieve our goal of being the top cryptocurrency used for everyday payments, we needed to add two particular features, which we have added and, and have been in use for over three years now. So that's one called Private Send, that is essentially a fixed version of CoinJoin, if anyone knows much about uh, you know, BIPs from Bitcoin, Bitcoin and things, although I don't actually know if that was a BIP or not. But anyway, 
So private send for privacy and then instant send, which actually many people call our killer feature, which allows us to offer the equivalent of 30 confirmations in under 1.5 seconds. Mm. And so that acts basically as a, 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 a transaction becomes double spend proof instantly enabling point of sale. So you can buy that proverbial cup of coffee. No one has to worry about double spends. Another thing that, you know, when people talk about cryptocurrency, we talk about anonymous a lot, but Bitcoin isn't really private and anonymous, is it? Uh, no. Well, depending on the knowledge about your own usage, that becomes public. And the thing about a dare we call it a currency, I, I'd like to be careful using the term currency when we are talking about all of these cryptos, because it kind of ignores the definition of currency, which is something, you know, a medium of exchange, right? And most of them are accepted hardly nowhere. But, you know, so if I may just call it crypto, the whole point of using a crypto is to send it to someone or receive it from somebody else. And once you've done that, either they know your address or you know their address. And so on any chain that has no privacy offerings, you can do what's called chain analysis on anybody else's address that you become aware of, or they can do the same to yours. And Bitcoin, of course, falls into that category. Mm. Yeah. Now, whenever this was originally created, you know, way back in the day, I, I believe it was called, uh, I believe it was called dark coin, right? So you guys had, uh, you had pivoted. It was, it was originally, I guess originally X coin, which was XCO. Then it was changed to dark coin. And then, then it was, uh, rebranded as digital cash dash, right? Which is a portmanteau of that. So that's interesting that, uh, why the name changes. And you guys have been around since 2014. And so do you guys still have the original mission from, from way back in the day and, and maybe why the rebrand? Great question. The, we, uh, dash does still have the original mission of dark coin. The initial change from Xcoin to Darkcoin happened within mere days of the coin's launch. And so that, I don't even know why that happened. I mean, we're talking at this time, maybe a hundred people were mining and or interested in Dash at the time. The only place it was being talked about was on the Bitcoin talk forum. And so it was teeny, teeny, tiny, and probably, you know, three or four people saying, hey, you know, Xcoin, Dark coin would be better. Let's change it. And hence was it changed. Uh, that's how long ago it was. And then they saw the light. <laughs> well, it took them until early 2015 to see the light. Uh, the light being, hey, if our aim is to be used as an everyday payment by the everyday person, so to speak, dark coin is probably not a good name. First of all, it has, you know, maybe a connotation of like darkness and scariness and, and things like that. I was very also, scared. It was very frightening. Right. And I could hear the shake in your voice. So thankfully for you, they rebranded to Dash. A, it's easier to say. B, in my opinion, anything that ends with coin is a mistake in naming conventions because Bitcoin, I mean, after that, you know, Bitcoin ought to have been the only coin. Anything putting coin in the title after that is just kind of silly, in my opinion. And so that it's been dashed for over three years now. Well, that, that fits us. We're silly because we have bad coin. 
That it that is the official token, uh, the worthless token of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And so, Travis, she has just confirmed how bad and silly we are. Maybe if you had given it a different name, it wouldn't be worthless. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, oh snap. no! It would snap. still be worthless. It would still be worthless. Because. Shot to the heart, and you're to blame. <laughs> you give Badcoin a bad name. How? Very painful. Very painful. So, so now, so it's digital cash, and you guys are based out. I, I believe your headquarters is in, is in is in Scottsdale, or it's in uh, Phoenix area somewhere. Is that correct? Uh, the headquarters of some particular members of the core team is in Scottsdale. That's correct. Uh, there are also people who work for Dash who have started an office for themselves in Hong Kong. It's called Dash Labs. They're doing mm. hardware-specific research. And actually, interesting that you ask, the person who started that office is Evan Duffield. Uh, mm. He's the founder of Dash. And the reason he started this lab is because Dash's plan going forward is to enact what we call massive on-chain scaling. And so unlike most of the other scaling talk in the space that's exploring off-chain solutions and secondary layers and networks, we're focused solely on scaling to, dare I say, Visa and MasterCard transaction per second levels. But dare, dare. Right, I'm doing it right here on the show. Uh, 100% on chain. And so Evan and his associates believe that in order to do so, our master nodes, and I'm not sure how much you, if you know about master nodes in uh -huh. Dash, but okay, so we don't just have miners, right? So we actually have miners earning 45% of our block reward, but we also have a secondary class of hardware called master nodes, and they're earning 45% of the block reward as well. And masternodes are the ones who enable instant send and private send. And so Evan believes that we're going to need hardware that doesn't currently exist to allow our masternodes to serve up, you know, thousands and thousands of transactions per second. And so that's what they're working on there. Mm. Now, just to, for clarification, to have a masternode, you know, this is an interesting thing. We've not talked about masternodes a whole lot yet because we're bad, but we're still, you know, growing our knowledge base. We've had a lot of conversations with some really intelligent people. If you want to maybe talk about um, masternodes just um, to for the sake of our audience, from what I understand, you have to hold X amount of Dash tokens to be able to stake a masternode. Is that correct? That is correct. The purpose of a masternode aside from adding services to the network that miners alone cannot add, is primarily for security and governance. And those two go hand in hand. What I mean by this is you'll, anyone who's been around crypto even for six months has noticed what I would call crises in governance in other chains. And these crises in governance in the most extreme scenarios have resulted in coin forks. So we've seen Bitcoin turn into Bitcoin cash and then Bitcoin gold. And years ago, or not quite two years ago, we saw Ethereum fork off also into Ethereum Classic. These crises of governance come about when a decision stands to be made, but there is no explicit protocol on how, how investors feel about the decision and how they can then execute based on that. And the reason being is because in other chains, 
The people running the hardware of the network, which is entirely the miners in the case of most other coins, and the people most invested in those networks, you know, like your Roger Veers, people with potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in Bitcoin, quite often they're not even the same people. And so that's where the conflict, that's where the crisis comes in, in that the people who have the right to make the decisions, the miners, and the people who have potentially way, way more invested in the coin than the miners, that is the biggest stakeholders, they're not even the same people. And so the master node concept takes care of that potential conflict of interest by making the people running the network's hardware and its biggest investors the same people. And so with a master node, a person gets to vote, not only on yes, no questions like yes or no, should Dash increase its block size, which we have voted on in the past, yes. But also they get to vote on where to send the remaining 10% of our block reward meaning they get to decide who works to who gets paid to work on the network. So the master nodes vote yes or no on the core team's salary. The master nodes have voted yes or no on my salary and they've voted yes or no on the salaries of literally hundreds of other people who also apply for funds from Dash. Did they vote on whether or not you should show up on this podcast? Uh they did not. I was afraid that if I gave them that right, I might not like the outcome. And so I just kind of overrode them on that one. No, I'm kidding. No, I actually you've got an extensive team here is, you know, you talk about who's getting paid in on that. But my favorite thing is under administration and support. You have a team member with the name Moo Cow Moo. And so if there was, you know, any reason to, to love Dash, um, that right there might be my favorite. But you guys have done a really good job in one arena that many uh, not coins um, haven't done. And that is in marketing and branding. Um, talk a little bit about that. Sure. It's funny that you say that because we actually think we've done almost Nothing, at least in terms of wide scale internet based marketing, right? Like you go to a lot of these cryptocurrency news sites or price reporting sites and you see, you know, banner ads or, or, you know, Google, Google ads on top of searches and things. And we've done not that much of that. But yes, you're right. What you're talking about is the impression that the Dash community gives is something that's eye-catching and the reason is likely the accessibility of funds. If I were interested in working for another network, another cryptocurrency network, the vast majority of them, I would have no way to actually go to the network stakeholders and say, hey, this is who I am. This is the value I think I can bring to your coin, and this is the amount for which I'm willing to work for you every month. Would you be willing to hire me? You know, most other coins just operate on a, you know, they have like a foundation registered in some country somewhere, and that foundation hustles up donations, and and so that's it. I mean, the foundation is really what's in charge, and so... When you have a more open and transparent system where the block reward is not being consumed entirely by miners, but is rather made available for more of these functions that we need, it does it does bring more people around. 
you know that now that is that's an interesting process you guys are doing over there with that now one thing i i've actually seen dash ads on a uh, i was on an airplane and i saw it oh. on the back i saw it on the back of a uh, of the of the uh, the display right in front of me and uh so you guys have then i was i was like wow they're advertising there that is interesting and so i did some research and i found that you guys take a percentage of is that is that where the where that uh, where the master nodes and the percentage of the stakes go because you're taking a percentage of your new tokens or something and you're applying that to marketing is is that true yes that's correct so the person who ran those ads on the airline he approached the dash network and he put a proposal into what we call our treasury so our treasury is 10% of our newly created coins each month. So after the 45%'s been paid to miners, 45% to masternodes, that leaves 10%. And after a month long cycle, uh, the masternodes can vote to create up to that entire 10%, which right now is something like 600, I'm sorry, 6,600 dash each month. And then they can vote yes or no on any proposal that's asking for any amount of it. So yes, so the person put in, I, f- I forget his name, um, but he's been doing that proposal successfully for several months now. And the masternodes are continually voting yes for his proposal. And and uh, I'm sure they'll be happy to hear that you saw one of the airplane ads. Yeah, I was, was blown away. Effective. It was the, the very first time that I, because oh, it, was, it was shocking to me because it was the very first time that I had seen any cryptocurrency anywhere doing advertising video advertising like a commercial so it was uh, I, I actually i saw a um, a magazine ad and it was a picture of roger veer giving the bird um and it said it's not be cash <laughs> are you serious no i'm serious. joking well that's great that was great <laughs> they also removed the word gullible from very the, good the dictionary. very good um so the total supply of Dash is uh, 18 million coins. There's about 7.8 million in circulation right now. And, you know, you guys are, uh, you're saying it's not going to reach 18 million until the year 2300. And I, I think, think that's not fair because only the Travbot 3000 will still be alive then. Well, uh, in terms of the coin cap, the 18 million is an estimate. And the reason it can't be known exactly down to the coin, how many there will be once the inflation goes to absolute zero, is because of the treasury system I was just talking about. So the way that there are 6,600 coins available each month right now, until of course it decreases by 7% as it does annually, it decreases by 7% annually until zero. So if the if the masternodes don't vote to allocate all of that, all 6,600 coins, whatever they don't vote to allocate simply won't be created. And so that's why the 18 million is a rough estimate, but because we don't know down to the coin exactly how many will create until inflation goes to zero, that's why it's an estimate. Certainly there's a cap. We can never create more than that 10% of the block reward, but some months we do create less because there's just not enough good projects asking for funding to max out that number. You you have on the website, there's a lot of use cases happening right now, which, you know, we love to see in crypto. We want to see crypto actually 
being accepted by merchants, you know, used for debit cards, spent by people who are, you know, holding it and not not just hodling. And with with Bitcoin, it's really a pain to spend it. It really has because it's so slow um, and it takes so long. It's really just a store of wealth. But you know, to spend it, um, I see that on the, the merchants tab, if you guys go to dash.org is the official website and you click merchants, you'll see there's a number of debit cards. There's uh, hosting providers that accept Dash. There's business services. You can get gift cards, play games. There's online casinos. There's a bunch of web stores. People are actually using this. Yeah, that is the entire purpose. There is no reason for us to be talking about masternodes and block rewards and mining and all of that other stuff if this coin is not getting used. Because if this coin is not getting used, it will go to zero eventually after this speculation dies out. And so that's the 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 whole that's the fun stuff to talk about to me as well. And another site you can visit that shows uh, more businesses laid out on a map is discover-.com. Business acceptance is pretty much our primary goal because so the the CEO of the Dashcore team, he traditionally comes from the payments, like the traditional payments sphere. And in talking about the chicken and the egg problem, as he calls it, that is why would a merchant want to accept a form of payment that consumers aren't yet demanding? And yet, why would consumers demand a form of payment that merchants aren't yet accepting? In order to solve that problem, uh, he thinks that the best way is to attempt to get added into payment channels, is what they're called. And so those are the companies who are already facilitating a lot of payments, like via credit card, for example. So you see a lot of smaller merchants out there using uh, Square, right? They have that nifty little thing that pops right into their tablet. And even if they're, you know, a street vendor selling corn dogs, they can accept, they can accept credit cards right there. Uh, other payment channels are like Stripe, and I think someone even told me that Uber has their own payment channel, not just for their driving services, but for other things as well. That aside, uh, so that is Dash's primary goal: is to get Dash added as an accepted form of payment in payment channels that people are already using, and. I had an interview with one of the developers on the Dash Core team, uh, Chuck Williams, some time ago. And he said that in 2017, something that they came across a lot when speaking with these payment channels about, hey, like adding Dash, is that a lot of these traditional businesses are turned off by the sheer amount of work that it takes to integrate with a cryptocurrency, uh, the running of a full node being just one of the hurdles that they have to conquer right now to do so. And so what what the Dashcore team is developing right now in a, pri in a private repository, uh, and they'll be releasing this year, is what they're calling the world's first decentralized API. And so what it will be is a snippet of code that any payment channel can, you know, just place right into their regular checkout screen. And that code pings, will ping a masternode quorum on our network to allow direct, you know, like sending and receiving of Dash through for that payment channel 
in a way that they don't have to run a full node. They don't have to do really much of any making over of their current solution. They just put the snippet in, hey, now they accept Dash. And so we are we have very high hopes that that will be much more well received in the traditional payment sphere than the than the current setup. Yeah, that's great. It is, it's it's really interesting. You you start uh, plugging in APIs and allowing anyone with an e-commerce site to easily be able to accept Dash. That's going to be that's going to be a big game changer. And I was looking at you know Dash where you guys were you know just on January first, two thousand seventeen, right? January first, two thousand seventeen. It was around eleven dollars. Uh, January 1st, 2018, it was sitting at a a little over a thousand dollars, like a $1,040. Now it's sitting around, we had a nice little correction, uh, you know, now it's sitting around 600 and something dollars there, but what, that was a huge run up. I mean, that, I mean, if something goes 10 X, I mean, we're talking, you know, from $11 to $111, that thing went, that thing, that thing blew up. So what was some of the, the key things last year that, uh, that drove some of that growth? You know, I I wish that I could say I am continually just surprised by investor activity within the crypto sphere in general. Uh, It just seems to me that for a while I expected Dash to move separately from the rest of the crypto space. And and I do still expect this to happen, but my timeline has been pushed out, potentially way out, because for the most part – The various cryptocurrencies are kind of moving in tandem right now, but you are correct in that Dash's price rise, even when compared to the rest of the crypto sphere, even when compared to Bitcoin last year, was just, I mean, okay, so I think Bitcoin went up uh, like something like 1,300% in price last year, and Dash went up like 15,000%. And I really, I really cannot say, I mean... To me, the writing has been on the wall about Dash for years and years because it's the setup, it's it's the governance, it's as as boring as governance is. It's really everything. It's just it's it's everything. It will determine a coin's future it, in spite of how boring it is because a crypto network is nothing if not a business, right? So our payroll. That's our block reward. That's the that's the new coins that we have to create to it dilutes our supply, right? It dilutes the value of every coin in existence, but we have to pay it because we promised our miners we would and so it's like this payroll that we've got to make every month. So in order to not lose in in purchasing power in US dollar terms, we have got to sell more of those coins than we are creating to pay out. And so it's really just a basic business model. You have to you have to make more than you lose. And and to me Dash is the is designed to run as a business. And so, you know, maybe just more people realized that last year. You're uh, you're super passionate about this topic. I mean, you know what you're talking about, but the passion just oozes, you know, out of out of every word. I mean, you started as a journalist, right? And then you went down the crypto rabbit hole and now you are like all in. <laughs> well, sure, sure. Well, I've always been interested, well, vaguely interested anyway, because I couldn't completely understand what was going on, but in money. And I, I feel like the reason it was 
difficult for me and still is really to understand the workings of the legacy financial system is because I was born at the very tail end of all of it, right? Right as it's at its most, you know, uh, most complex, most, um, yeah, I guess, I, I guess most complex and, and far gone that it will ever be. And naturally, uh, when something becomes that complex and that inaccessible to so many people, that is when, you know, the forces of the universe bring the Satoshi Nakamoto forward uh, with the, the thing that's going to replace, like, the, the, the dying organism of old with the rebirth of the new organism that's, you know, yet to grow. And so, it's, it, to me, it felt like the implicit interest in money that I had always had but had never been able to explore because I'm just so late in the game to this global world of of fiat and banking finance, that was able to come alive for me in seeing not necessarily the birth of cryptocurrency, right? Like I didn't know Satoshi, I wasn't in on all this in 2009 or whatever, but still pretty early on, uh, 2013, it just, it everything made sense really. It just, it, it just seems like the natural progression of things and it makes sense and I get it and I love it. And so, yeah, I love talking about it. I'm going to call you Satoshat because you're, you know, you're as, as good about talking about the stuff. Get three adjectives to, uh, that you believe clearly define the legacy monetary system. Permissioned. That's one. That's one. Permissioned. Um, Let's see. If paperwork can be one, can that be one? Sure. Permissioned, paperwork, and what's the opposite of transparent? What is it? It's ob hidden, <laughs> obstructive, Ob um, uh, obtuse, opaque, opaque, opaque. Um, Good wordifying. See, I would have just said sucky. That would have yeah. been my <laughs> centralized <laughs> suckiness and corrupt, probably. <laughs> corrupt that's good uh you know what that's one thing is i really find interesting about this amanda this whole space is that when people get involved with crypto when they first start most of them have never even heard the term fiat currency right and then once they understand fiat currency then it's almost like oh the light will go on it clicks to them then then they understand blockchain a little bit and they go whoa okay this is potential to change the world now i i really uh you know from doing analysis on dash and, and and checking it out and just the the way that you have it structured you have this more decentralized than than bitcoin because bitcoin is not truly decentralized because so much power is in the hands of those miners right uh and the way that you guys are doing the master nodes with the miners and then you're taking uh you know the self-funding structure that you have so when new dash are created right you're setting 10 percent aside to improve the currency's ecosystem you know that seems to me that over time that that eliminates the problem of b cash and b gold and b diamond and super btc and all these other forks that have happened because you you have a mechanism built in to reach consensus better uh, amongst the the people who are mining and and uh, you know helping the ecosystem grow. There's a better system in place to actually reach consensus amongst them. So there's not all these dissenting people who want to maybe fork off. So what ha <laughs> they can fork off if you ask me. But what <laughs> what happens if the, you're doing the voting 
and it's like 51% this and 49% that, and you guys kind of get into um, a, a struggle like that. What is the mechanism built in if there is, um, you know, not consensus? Yeah, because I want to have decash. Right. Well, so 51% versus 49 would still be consensus. But it'd be so scary. It would still... be, whoa, what are you doing <laughs> True. here? True. I mean, you, you'd likely have, you know, a, a lot of, of angry people. And actually, we've had votes on some things that have come that close before. Uh, it was on whether or not the network should fund a given business in this business was asking for funds to do something that they claimed would benefit Dash, and something like 51% of the masternode vote was no, and 49% of it was yes. Oh. And so the no's had it, and certainly there was a lot of disagreement there, uh, but obviously because there was no fork of Dash, no investors seriously thought that their disagreement over whether to fund this business was worth splitting the entire network. Uh, and so, I mean, there may come a day when there's some governance question, like a, like a serious one, like, oh, should Dash should Dash keep its privacy settings or should they be, you know, wiped from the protocol? Something very much more serious like that. If there were a very, very close vote, this, the voting doesn't enforce human action, right? So, like, if, if there were a vote that said um, Amanda should eat at McDonald's every day for the next year. That's and no, if that you should vote passed, no to that. No. <laughs> right. So that even if it passed, I wouldn't have to do it because the voting doesn't compel human action. All it does is it gives us an extremely accurate picture of the sentiment of Dash investors. And so, you know, may there ever be a Dash fork one day, meaning the network, our network could actually split. It's certainly possible, regardless of how any vote turns out, but rather it's it's simply less likely than in other networks because we're able to get an accurate picture of how each other feels before we start talking crazy talk like, well, I'm going to fork off and make Dash Classic, or I'm going to fork off and make Dash Gold. We shouldn't have to get to that point of craziness and anger because we knew what each other was thinking all along. Kind of like the way that, you know, in the American political system, it's supposed to work when we vote for president. But, you know, you still have those. I could see like if Dash were to do its thing, you'd have hashtag not my Dash, right? And the, the <laughs> resist Dash or something like that because people... <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about something uh, else here because we have there really are very few um, outspoken crypto chicks in the space. And, you know, both Travis and I are a fan of women. We think women are, are equal in every respect and can do, you know, uh, what men can do and in many cases are smarter and more creative. And so it's glad, I'm really glad to see you, you know, out there on the front lines. We just uh, interviewed the inimitable Laura Shin, who's brilliant, and uh, Naomi Brockwell, Bitcoin girl, has been on our show. And, you know, we're constantly looking for others because uh, we think that y'all have a lot to say. But why do you think that um, there are so few female voices in this space? Well, uh, I, in, there are generalities that are true about the genders. So in general, mechanics are male, whereas in general, 
people who knit are female. So that's not to say that obviously there aren't exceptions on both sides. Obviously there are women mechanics and obviously there are men who knit, but the generalities hold true. And so it's no different in the crypto space. In general, people interested in finance and computers and cryptography are male. And But of course, with the exceptions that there always are, some of those will be female. There will be a minority interested in finance and cryptography and computers who are female. And so it's ju it's just that. It's just that. That is true. Uh, that's good stuff. I have a question around, so, you know, there are a few other privacy quote unquote, you know, coins out there. And, you know, so I would, I would be interested to know the difference between Dash and maybe Monero or Verge. I mean, there's some other ones too, like Pivx and Zcash. And then there's a host of other ones that are just sort of up and coming. And there's also some new platforms that are popping up like Enigma and Komodo and some of these other ones and Zencash and some other stuff. So maybe how does Dash differentiate, differentiate itself from all these other privacy oriented cryptos? I'm glad you're asking that, Travis, because I was starting to feel like we were Dash kissers or something. <laughs> well, that is a great question. So I will compare uh, Dash's privacy offering to the two that I get asked about the most and the two that represent uh, two majorly different ways to do privacy. And so one of those would be the approach that Zcash takes and the other would be the approach that Monero takes. So the primary difference can be summed up just by saying that in Dash, everything is still totally public and auditable and transparent, meaning we don't attempt to hide anything on our blockchain because that would break the primary purpose of what we see a blockchain to be, which is a perfectly auditable account of the money supply. Uh, and so, so the way Dash does this is if you have a Dash Core wallet, you can tell your Dash Core wallet, I want to mix some coins. And what happens at that point is that your wallet breaks down your Dash into uniform denominations, either tens, ones, point ones, or point zero ones. And then it pings, your wallet pings a randomly selected masternode and tells that masternode, hey, I'd like to mix some denominations. And that masternode says, cool, I'll look for someone else on the network who wants to mix those same denominations. And then once at least three people on the network are found who want to mix, say, 0.01 Dash, then the masternode signs the broadcast, but reorders the inputs and outputs in a different order than they were before. So you never lose access to your Dash while it's being mixed. All you do is grant the masternode permission to broadcast a transaction from your original address back to another of your own addresses. And all this does is if someone were to look at the blockchain and look at one of these mixing sessions, they would see that there were three inputs of 0.01 Dash and and maybe they knew those inputs, right? Because we know each other's inputs when we send each other payments, right? If I send Joel or Travis a payment, I know your Dash address. I know that one. But if I were to try to follow the trail of the coins I sent you on the blockchain, I wouldn't be able to tell after that mixed transaction which of the outputs 
your 0.01 dash ended up in. And so what we do is we do this several times. We call them mixing rounds. We can do it up to eight times for every for every denomination of dash. And at that point, you actually end up with over 6,500 equally plausible histories for each denomination of dash. And so the blockchain is fully transparent, fully auditable, nothing has been hidden, but it's totally you know, like cost prohibitive, nigh impossible to find out which history is the real history of any given coin. Oh. Okay, so how is that different uh, from the other options out there? So uh, not being a cryptographer, I can only speak in very general terms about the Monero and the Zcash approaches. So the Monero approach is basically to obscure most of the blockchain, really. And I'm not sure how the cryptography of, I believe they call it Ring CT, is able to achieve that. Um, but basically, you know, it does. Like if you're to look up somebody's Monero address on the Monero blockchain, you're not able to see anything about that address. And so, you know, in some ways, uh, that can be very useful. Like if you want to send a payment and and you don't want anyone to even know that it's taken place, you know, that kind of approach can be very useful. But at the same time, that fact needs to be tampered with the fact, or I'm sorry, not tampered, rather tempered with the fact that Monero's privacy um, was actually broken in the past. It operated for years in, in a traceable way and just nobody figured it out until about a year ago or at least they didn't publish about it until about a year ago. And so one needs to have caution when dealing with these sort of tricksy cryptographic things, because while they can do cool things like, hey, you know, it obscures the whole whatever, whatever history, uh, those tricks are a double-edged sword and they can actually be working against you in a way that you didn't even realize. Okay, and then on the other side um, of Zcash's setup, so what they've done is when they launched the coin, they had a series of private keys or, yeah, I guess just keys in general, like cryptographic keys, which if combined would be able to like decrypt future uh, encrypted actions on the network, right? So if I have a Zcash wallet and I want to send a private payment, I would do something like, uh, you know, move it. I would, I don't know if it's a button or, you know, what the graphical user interface looks like, but basically I can just choose to encrypt the payment details to you, meaning that like the amount I sent you would be shielded and potentially even your address. I'm not sure. I haven't actually looked at Zcash's blockchain before. And so, and so again, that's one of those cool cryptographic things where you're like, hey, uh, I can I can choose to encrypt my payment details and no one can see them looking at the blockchain. That's pretty cool. But then, of course, at just as with Monero, there is a flip side to the trickiness of this cryptography in that if the keys which were created at the launch of Zcash were ever to be combined the person who combined those keys could retroactively decrypt the entirety of the Zcash blockchain. And so, yeah, so 
it, it's cool to see it, different approaches out there to solving different problems. I hope that that only continues. I personally believe that Dash's approach to privacy is the best to take if if what's most important to you is still preserving the monetary aspect of we want to prevent secret inflation as the number one goal, which we do. Great info. Um, Amanda, as we get ready to close out here today, let's do a little prognostication. I mean, no, we, we all know nobody's got a crystal ball, okay? But, uh, and I don't want you to prognosticate about Dash itself, just as we're looking at the crypto markets in general. Here we are in, in February of 2018. Um, as of this recording, the crypto market cap is about $425 billion, uh, almost half of its all-time high. Where do you see us on December 31st, 2018? Just shoot a number out there. $2 trillion. $2 trillion. I like that. Travis, you like that? Yeah, that's good. I mean, that was, you know, when we looked at uh, Thanksgiving, it was 250 billion. Now it's sitting at around, I think, 450 billion has been as high as 830 something billion. It would seem to me that, you know, if more people can onboard and some of these exchanges can get more people in that are interested in the space between two and five trillion does not seem unreasonable. Uh, and then again, it could be, <laughs> we could have a massive tank and it could be, you know, 500 billion. I mean, who knows? Well, blockchain True. is here to stay. Uh, Amanda B. Johnson, a crypto queen and spokesperson for Dash. Thanks so much for uh, coming and joining us today. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Joel. And that wraps up another episode of Bad Crypto, number 86, but actually well over 100. It's Our numbers are all messed up. And, uh, you know, Travis and I are working on a new song, and we are um, on a plane, maybe as you're listening to this, to head to San Francisco for the D10E conference, D10E.biz. They, they do events regularly, and uh, we're going to be doing Bad Crypto Live on the stage i think we've only got 30 minutes so it's going to be a condensed show mm -hmm. but we'll also be uh, meeting some folks and uh, we don't know what we're going to do but we're going to plan it on the plane we are going to plan it on the plane and you know what else we're going to do we're going to we're, we're going to take bad coin to the moon there's going to be lambos we're, no, we're not. We're not going to do any of that. You're not making promises. <laughs> That's right. That one, One thing I am going to promise, though, is that I will always a stay ad bay. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Ooye Ute, episode A, 86A of a Ide Adbe Iptocre Oddpecat. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> 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 hold okay. I'm dying over here. <laughs> I gotta get odd past odd cat odd cast pay. Uh
<laughs> okay, mute yourself. What? Oh my gosh, I am just crying over here. Let me get the last one. I gotta get the last part. You gotta shut up. I muted it. Is um so to excuse me, uh, edit that out. And I just hit the mic.